You're listening to another episode of The Vincast. As Australia's number one wine podcast, which is completely free of charge, uh, I rely on the support of my listeners. Now, you can support me uh, by getting in touch on social media, or more importantly, by leaving a five-star rating and a review on iTunes, uh, as uh, Max Loves Wine did. Thanks very much, Max, for your recent review. Much appreciated. But you can also support the guests on the show, because they're the real reason that the Vincast is so great. Uh, you can do so by uh, getting in touch with them on social media and just showing your appreciation for their time and their story. Um, but even better, you can go to their websites and buy some of their products. You know, if they're a winemaker uh, or, you know, if they sell something, um, buy some of their product. Uh, why not, um, you know, subscribe to the publication that a wine writer might write for? Um, you know, there's lots of different ways. But if you share the love with the guests, then that makes them really um, glad that they uh, came onto the show. So thanks very much, guys, as always, for listening. Thanks to all the guests for their time. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. On episode 98 of the Vincast, I chat with Sharon Flynn, who makes amazing fermented food and beverage products in her business, The Fermentary. Vincasters, welcome back to another episode of the Vincast. My name is James Guestbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino, and it has been a little while since I've had a new episode. Uh, my apologies for the uh, hiatus. Uh, it's been a bit busy of late and uh, unfortunately has been a little bit harder to actually uh, nail down a guest. Uh, people uh, have um, pretty tight schedules, so um, it, particularly if they're coming into Melbourne for uh, for trade or uh, some sort of wine event. Uh, they don't always um, have a lot of time to uh, to sit down for the podcast, but uh, you can actually help out um, encouraging people uh, to make some time to be on the show. Uh, jump onto social media. Make sure you're using uh, at the Vincast on Twitter or at Intrepid Wino on uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and actually get in touch with uh, people that you'd like to hear on the show and let them know. Um, tell them that they uh, should uh, get in touch with me to, to be on the show because uh, I'd love to hear their stories. There's no, no um, limit to how many people I could have on the show, um, but uh, it's all a question of making the time to be uh, available to talk to me. But um, thank you guys, of course, for your support. Uh, there's no way I would be approaching episode 100 if I didn't have such fantastic listeners who uh, to give me such feedback. And, uh, and thank you so much for your generosity. On this week's episode, uh, again, I have uh, not a particularly uh, beverage or wine-focused person. Uh, in fact, uh, Sharon Flynn is um, a fermenter of food uh, and um, beverages that aren't necessarily... They, there is some alcohol, I guess, but uh, uh, Sharon is behind the fermentary, which uh, makes beautiful food products uh, out of uh, Melbourne, uh, Victoria, uh, now Dalesford, I guess. Uh, 
uh, and she uh, joined me on the show this week to talk about her background and how amazing uh, naturally fermented and pickled foods can be. So I hope you enjoy our chat. Please stick around to the end so you can find out how to learn more about uh, the fermentary. Uh, but until then, I'll see you on the other side. Sharon, thank you so much for uh, for making some time. Um, and you're actually my first guest for a little while. I've, I had a bit of a, a break, a hiatus, but um, uh, thank you for, for coming to be on the Vincast. No worries. Thanks for having me. Now, um, if, if people have actually read uh, the description about Sharon, you'd probably be aware that uh, uh, Sharon's actually not in the alcohol business, but in a way she is because she's in the fermenting business. So um, I thought it would be fascinating to chat with her about uh, things that are fermented that aren't necessarily uh, alcoholic beverages as mm. we normally talk about on That's the podcast. Right. Low alcohol. <laughs> there's, there's alcohol. Very low, yes, yeah. but not in, the, not in the context of wine or no. spirits or That's beer right. or something like that. So um, I, I typically ask my guests if they can remember – when it was that uh, they had an experience with wine that made them think about it in a different way. But I guess in your case, I'd be more interested in thinking, in asking you, what what was um, the, I guess, the incident or the experience in your life that got you interested in food in a different way, particularly, you know, as it led towards that kind of interest in fermenting? fermenting. Definitely. I remember it pretty clearly. Um, it was when I was started making bread in Seattle. We're living in Seattle and we... We're involved with a really great CSA. Do you know what that is? A um, community-supported agriculture. Oh, cool. It's okay. Really fantastic. It's getting bigger in Australia, but you'd pay so, say eight hundred dollars a year. So, ahead. like community garden type stuff. No, someone's a privately owned farm, right? That you can go to and check out, and you pay them eight hundred dollars in January. That was in the winter. Yeah. And they would promise you a certain amount of vegetables throughout the year. And, and would you be expected it, to actually go out and work it? And, no, never. Oh, no. okay. So you, there were certain, like I paid the full amount so I didn't have to do any work. But right. if you couldn't afford that, you could promise a certain amount of hours in return mm -hmm. and get a lower price. Okay. Um, but we would go on every Tuesday and pick up a box and some of it would be, none of it would be packed. There would be a list and say, if you have paid for a family of four, you get to choose two broccoli heads, bag of potatoes, and you'd go and grab it all. Mm. That's sort of an honesty thing. Mm. And then if you had the time, you're welcome to go out to the farm and pick a certain weight of raspberries or um, a bunch of flowers every time, a dozen eggs, if that was in your thing. So you'd go and um, do it all yourself in that way, but it was quite easy. You know, it was ready to grab. Right, okay. Anyway, I was involved with them and uh, it was beautiful and uh, they would have excesses of things every year. Like sort of at the beginning in spring, you'd be like, oh, this isn't really worth the money, you know, because you get a, it's meagre. Mm. And then by the end of the summer, you're getting so much stuff. You yeah, yeah. To do with it. So they would have these collective things where you'd go and do pickling. And um, at the time, I didn't think that about the difference between fermenting mean, and pickling. Like, do you mean like workshop type stuff? Um, I would say more of a hands-on gathering that, yeah, where you okay. just bring three jars, we're going to, you know, cut up cabbage and make sauerkraut. Okay, but do you learn how to do it at the same time? Yeah, you're doing okay. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, But it's not a lesson. It's not like but you're it's paying. More it's, it's more to get it done. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so that was a really cool time and it, maybe it connected me to food in a way, but I also was making bread and I had that feeling I was quite proud that I was making bread because we were in a gated community and the bread was shit, mm. you know. Um, and then I, I kind of thought, oh, how do you actually make 
I, where does the yeast come from? I was a bit unsatisfied p- putting the powdered yeast in. Mm-hmm. So then I read in this book that I had said you can buy the lump, the moist yeast from a bakery direct. And I thought, that's really cool. You know, here I am going to the baker, buying their yeast. And then I was like, where did they get it? Mm-hmm. What is yeast? How do you even get yeast? You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and I ordered um, Sandor Katz's book, Wild Fermentation. It was a magazine back then. It was like a, a periodical. A zine. Yeah. Yeah. And he was coming to the local university to do it to, at a market. And um, I had read that he was coming. So I bought his book. And so this is years ago. And that had a thing on a sourdough. Right. So that was because I'd been going through that process like, how do you even get yeast? How do they farm yeast? How do they catch it? Mm. And where we lived in Seattle, that's where um, Starbucks is based. Yeah, and down on Pike in our market. street. Yep. Um, I went there. Oh, okay. It's, well, the, it's the, the the original one's the only one with a logo where the, the mermaid's um, breasts are exposed. Still I think. showing. Yeah. Yeah. Every other one, the corporate one is it's just you just know from the neck head. up. Yeah. It's yeah. funny that you know that. No, I, so, I can't remember where, where I'd learned that, but I but I'd heard it beforehand, and so when I was staying in Seattle, I went there and went, oh, that's true. That's it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, because um, it was based there, and so is Costco and Amazon. I think a lot of big. Um, Companies that seem to be there. Uh, Microsoft, I think. Yeah, Microsoft. Something, something, so yeah. there are a lot of, um, in our street, we had everyone worked for one of those. Sure. But there were people who worked for Starbucks as their food technologists. And that's been months um, designing like the lemon bread loaf or whatever. And they, t- I was like, how do you Can, get did yeast? You find, did you ever meet who, who, met, who uh, designed the uh, pumpkin spice latte? Because those things are diabolical. You love them? No. Oh, <laughs> good. I was like, oh, I'm surprised. God. <laughs> I mean, the vanilla latte is a one thing, but pumpkin, pumpkin spice, spice latte. People love that. <sighs> they love it. I can't imagine what it does to your insides. I know. With the green, what about the green tea matcha frap? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Around, so, around St. Patrick's Day. It was a lot of food technologists talk and stuff like that. They told me about how yeast is made into powder and I was really unsatisfied. And then I got Sandor Katz's book and it was all about catching it from the air mm. or from within the flower. Okay. And when I did that at home, that's what was just for me, it was like life-changing spiritual thing. So did it did it talk about, you know, the kind of environment you need or that is is better suited for cultivating, you know, a, a wild yeast strain? That book, um, and uh, Sandor has said, you know, I think he's going back to change a few things in it. Really? It was one of his first books and, and since then he's learned a lot and mm-hmm. the interest has grown so much and there's sourdough people, you know coming out with much more informative books sure, than that. Sure. It was just a simple recipe. Sure. Um, at the time, he was really into that it comes from the air. Yeah. But now he's it's it's from within the flower. Right, okay. And, but it's, uh, the fl- it's the flower reacting with something in the environment that yes, creates Yes, or it's it? on it. It's on it. Right. It's living on it. Yeah, okay. So that's why when you want to make a really good sourdough mother, you'll use a, ver- a couple of different yeasts, like a rye and a whole wheat, rather than just a plain white. And but if the, you the do, flour it still needs to be can. in contact with air, though, doesn't it? Yes. You ca- if yeah. you kept it in a completely you need to put water close in. environment. Water, will, oh, water is the thing. Okay, yeah. that's, the, that's the catalyst, is That's it? the catalyst of um, my other favourite life-changing ferment, which is mead. Right. If you just, honey will sit there dormant and you add one drop of water and it um, comes alive again, and all the bacteria that's really? been sitting there. Yeah. Okay, so if it, so, if it's completely purified water, if it's like, what do they call it? Like um, the dead water. Yeah, yeah. it wouldn't do anything. I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. I think it would still 
do something. Okay. Actually, I do. It's interesting. I'd, mm. I'd like to find out. It's not what... the, necessarily the bacteria in the water. I think it's feeding the yeast. Yeah. The, okay. The, the living yeast. Yeah. Okay. And so you were... So it was sourdough, to answer, to sum that up. Sourdough, <laughs> sourdough. changed my way of thinking of everything. I was just like, holy shit. You know, I spent a, I had children and I'd spent a lifetime of thinking about germs and bacteria being something to stay away from. Yeah, as most people And there are. it was on the, in the air and we were in, it was enhancing something sure. that I loved. And um, were my you, daughter were actually did a project. Were you baking just for yourself? For the kids. Yeah, just for okay, eating. Okay, sure. Um, and we did a project then. We put... Um, all the flour and water in different bowls and we put a grape in one and a plum in the other and we tried to work out which one attracted the best yeast mm. and what loaf was better. You know, I did go all the way and she did a science project because we're in America, they do those science projects there. The science fairs. It's so annoying. With the volcano that actually has to erupt. Yeah. So we did that on sourdough. Right. And um, actually she put a lolly in one and uh-huh. that turned out to be the best one, which yeah. was a bit disappointing. Well, I would think that probably the, uh, the, the huge sugar, sugar content. Mm. We were disappointed in that, but um, that was the truth. And I did mead after that, and then um, that was that was the awakening for me, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it that, that took you to Seattle? <sighs> My partner's work, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, did you did did that kind of lead you further down? You know, interest into other forms of fermentation? Not really. I mean, I did so the sourdough experiment, and then the, the changing of the way I thought, and that bacteria is you know something you inherit, you, you can add to and play with to get another reaction and mm-hmm. change the flavor. That was there, and then I my cooking changed somewhat from that. Right, and then we moved to Brussels, and. Um, I was just drinking lots of beer and chocolate and, you know, all the food there and enjoying life. Right. And then my youngest daughter got really ill and um, towards the end of that sickness, uh, I learned from a friend that because she wasn't getting better, it was quite a terrible time. Right. And um, um, someone said to me, you need to forget about all the other symptoms now and just replace all the the bacteria that's probably missing from her gut. Yeah. And um, so I did a few searches on that and I was like, bingo, I've been fermenting food for, I know how to get bacteria. Okay. You know? um, I had never connected the two together. One was about food and loving food and mm-hmm. the other is about health, you know, but all of a sudden they were joined yep. and the gut brain connection and all that came. And I was like, oh God, you know, when I was in, I lived in Japan for eight years, I loved natto and miso and um, they are fermented. And so straight away, she'd been growing up, growing up on miso. Out of interest, when mm. you first got to Japan, did any of the locals kind of give you natto just to sort of say, Do you, oh, I wonder what she's going to think of this? Yeah, well, I, I lived that. in a dormitory when I first got there right? Uh, at a ski resort. Really? Yes, and that was all that was on offer. It was, we had rice, and I had raw eggs sitting there you could grab. Um, you know, mayonnaise and things like that, but it was rice, a miso soup, which was quite shoddy because really, uh-huh. it was for a large amount of people. Yeah. And then heaps of natto. So that, people, that, were, that, I'd watch that, them eat it and I'd be like, oh, I'll just have mayonnaise on rice. Things. No, that became my breakfast <laughs> when <laughs> I was did, an exchange yeah, student. When I, was, you... I was 16. I mean, when I was 16, 17, I'd eat everything. I still sort of am like that. But, um, you know, I at first of course nut dog is going to turn you off a little bit but mm. you acquire a taste for it yeah, and it's really delicious for it. but that's what I'd, I'd, I'd you know drop a, a raw egg mm. in with mix the nut dog some soy you know yeah. mix it up drop it onto some hot rice mm. and with some shallots beautiful oh, it's beautiful 
anyway, so Lulu, girl that we're talking about, the youngest, she'd had that. And we would usually put it in Okonomiyaki with some sure. mochi. Yeah. That's a great combination. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and so she'd had that. So I knew that that's a very powerful, um, it's a very powerful, what do you call it, when it pulls toxins out with it. Yeah. There's a word for it. But um, that's a powerful <laughs> ferment. Fining agent. <laughs> yeah. So it takes it, binds things and pulls them out. Yeah. So. And wine, in wine, um, typically you use bentonite. Okay. Or, or like egg or fish based. Right. You know. Products they're very good at binding okay. and cleaning things up. It um, sounds like the natto is a much nicer yeah. <laughs> form of fining agent. So, <clears throat> yeah, I knew about miso and natto. I gathered those and I, I knew, well, sourdough, but that's not really adding bacteria to your gut, but it makes the bread easy to, di- to digest. It tastes better as well. Tastes better. Um, and then, then I realised, oh, gosh, what I was doing in, in Chicago, before we lived in Seattle, we lived in Chicago and I learned to make pickles, mm-hmm. kosher pickle thing. We lived in a Jewish neighborhood oh, and wow. they were fermented. And I was like, oh, the, you know, there's a difference between pickling and fermenting. And I'd learned that. Okay. And um, so I just, I don't know, it was just like bang, everything I'd learned along the way was all sort of drawn into a line all of a sudden. So yeah. what so did you have any experience when you were in Japan about um, fermenting or pickling or that kind of thing? Yes, I did. And I had a, a little old lady that lived, because I, after I did the ski resort thing and I ended up living in a small town outside of Tokyo and um, didn't have any friends, you know, six foot two. I was just in town and I made friends with old people. Sure. Basically, at the beginning. Because old people in Japan, they don't give No, I couldn't probably see what, if, who I was. Yeah. <laughs> like, anyway, there's a little lady down below my apartment that I'd watch and she had a garden. Mm-hmm. And she was there all the time. Sure. So after a while, she saw me watching her and she invited me down and I'd just hang out with her. So I did a lot of the um, pickling with her. Right. And I found that crazy, you know, because they use a lot of beds to pickle in, you know. Um, miso bed, you just put garlic into miso okay. and let it sit. Or the nukadoko, do you know that? No. That's using um, rice bran. Oh. And you, it's like you make a bed of gooey, sort of like sand, wet sand. Right. And you shove the vegetables into that. Into, what, kind, into the, what kind um, of vessel? That's how you get takawan. You know takawan, that's that bright yellow daikon? Yeah. Yeah. That's you... made in a, in a nukadoko. Um, okay. Mm. It's not usually yellow if you do it yourself. No. It's pale yellow. Pale, whitish, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so when you say, what, what kind of vessel would you be putting that kind of Anything. They, I mean, just a little. Or no, more like a, a casserole, a deep dish. With a lid on it? Yes. Okay. But you don't really need But not need sealed? No. Yeah. You don't really need to seal it. No. It's sealed in. So the vegetable gets shoved into that wet, sandy mixture. Uh-huh. Completely covered. covered. Yeah. And depending on what you want, it can stay in there for years. Wow. What would be um, – and so in a way that's a, just a very traditional way of preserving yes. something. Yes. And so they have – what I, I think what was really important for me in the whole fermentation thing is they still have that in their daily lives, whereas we in Australia, like my, my grandma's Dutch, she doesn't bring any sauerkraut equipment with her here when on the boat, you know. It's well, not they, uh, no, in they, my everyday life to see someone making sauerkraut. That's the thing, though. We hear the, the, they go, oh, Australia, you can grow anything. It's mm. it's summer 12 months a year. Yes. We have no problems. We don't need to be, you know, growing all these root vegetables yeah. and pickling stuff because we can't grow anything this long, long winter. Yeah. Although at the moment it does feel like an extremely long winter. It does. Short days, very cold mornings. I love it. Um, 
it's my new thing. I have to keep saying it. So much, everyone in Melbourne, they're just like, everyone isn't it cold? They keep talking about it. Like, it's cold every year. It's winter every year. And but the thing <laughs> Why is, are you so it's surprised? So fun, it's so funny. It's every cold. year, the summer feels hotter. Winter seems colder. Yeah. Everybody. It's it just, <laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> our perception, I guess. But but that that's the thing. And, and so, I, I guess I find that fascinating that those northern – you, a northern hemisphere, the more the further north they are, the more that that becomes important. Yeah, you know, the right. further away you are from the ocean, for example, you know, you, yep. can't, you can't fish or anything like that. So you, you need to find nourishment wherever you can. And, yes. you know, I, I was just talking about this the other day in the context of um, wines. Um, have you heard of orange wine before? No. Basically, they're, they're wines that are made from white grapes, but they're with the skin contact. And right. so I kind of make the argument that traditionally that they would do this in certain parts of the world because they wanted to get as much nourishment as they could, you know, because there's a lot more um, really good healthy stuff and skins and seeds mm. that would otherwise be taken away from the wine if it was if if the grapes were just pressed. So yes. they, they, they you know that's actually taking nourishment from it. And that was an important part, you know, that 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 they would pre be essentially preserving the grapes that they'd yes. be harvesting by putting them into a clay jar, all of it, and just leaving it there. Yeah. You know, and they could just draw down from it if they wanted it. But, mm. but uh, uh, you know, like if you look at Scandinavia or, um, you know, even Eastern Europe and into mm. Russia and then Korea and, and Japan, yeah. you know, these really cold places that po possibly... Even, I mean, if you think of Korea and Japan, they're surrounded by water. Yeah. A lot of their but, but Scandinavia was, is followed by, yeah, yeah, by water as well. So, but they'd be pickling fish. fish. There's a lot. Preserve, they'd, Japan, they'd that's be how sushi, fish, drying fish. That's how sushi came to be. It was um, they used the rice as, as as a bed to ferment fish in. Yeah. And the rice would get sour from the fermentation. Yeah. So this new way of making the sushi rice with mirin and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's recent. Sure. It used to be purely from you know a year with fish oil in it. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> that sounds so young. Um, and so, did you did you so, start to pickle stuff yourself whilst you're in Japan? In Japan, yeah. Well, yes, I did it with her, and then I'd have her stuff. And when I started making friends, they came up to my apartment. They'll be like, "Oh my god, it looks like my grandma's house in here." You know, <laughs> what's going on? And yeah, you know, I had no idea. Wait a second, you're a Westerner. You're yes. not supposed to be interested in this kind of thing. That's weird. <laughs> it's true, but you know. Yeah, so I learned a lot from her, but it wasn't like something that I – I was 24, 25. Yeah. And I also had a very good – you know, I called him a tour son. He was a, an owner of a restaurant down the road and it was a very posh one that I could never have afforded to go to. <laughs> but um, – and it's not sleazy, but he would let me go there and it made his restaurant look more international. Sure. It was kind of a quiet deal. We didn't really talk about it openly, but he'd always say, oh, come for dinner tonight. I've got some special people coming, you know, so I'd join them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'd get the free, the meal and it was always amazing. Like we had the um, puffer fish a lot, you know, the, the scary one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got to have things that I would never have paid for. I'm not sure if I ate it. As a teacher. I'm not sure yeah. if I ate it when I was there. I don't think I did. I mean, they might have yeah, given it Yeah, they would have made me. a big deal about it. Probably. Like, you, don't, you only get a tiny piece yeah. of sashimi yeah. Yeah, or cooked. Yeah. Anyway, he I, I had a lot to do with food because of him as well. I right. hung out with him a lot. Sure. And he took me um, down the coast um, fishing. Like he would dive in for minutes at a time and pull out fresh fish, you know, proudly, and then we'd have to eat it raw and it would be 7 a.m. and um, eat tuna belly with a spoon, you know. Like yeah. It was 
there was a lot of food there for me for that the whole time. Yeah, food learning. But I, when I left, it, didn't, it wasn't like I I was a food person. No. I was just a teacher, and a it was mom. just part of the experience. Yeah. yeah. But now I see that it's really come. You know, it's handy. Sure. Yeah, it's for sure. So, um, and in in Belgium, you said that you were, um, you know, enjoying a lot of the local uh, uh, produce, yes. uh, you know, and and beer is a really really important part of of the Belgian thing, and that's where they have, you know, I think probably still is the highest concentration of naturally brewed beers, yes. um, you know, sour beers, lambic beers, that kind of yep. thing. Beautiful beer. Um, and so do you think that possibly had a, a little bit of uh, an impact on you? Because without you knowing about it, you were probably putting, you know, pretty good bacteria yeah, yeah, um, into your body and like Thanks. really powering up your your own immune systems Yeah. Um, without even realizing it and that possibly – might have, might um, have had us. an effect yes. on it as well. It could have done. We did drink a lot of beer. and was, I look back, though, now that it's, that was four years ago, mm -hmm. I look back and think, oh, if I could go back there, I would have toured so many breweries and, what they say and about a lot hindsight? more looking into it. What do yeah. they say about hindsight? It's always twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah um, I just did a lot of drinking of it. So, so you started to, um, in, in an effort to improve mm. uh, your daughter's health mm. and, and, and kind of rebuilding her, her natural immunities to, mm. to um, I guess, bad bacteria, um, you started making stuff at home? Yes. So straight away we moved home to Australia and um, I had stuff already, but I found a lady who had kefir grains, milk kefir mm -hmm. and water kefir, mm -hmm. and um, that was great because I'd been buying it, the milk kefir in America actually, and in um, Belgium it was all yogurt. So I found her and I was doing that, made the water kefir, that was new to me, um, and sauerkraut and kimchi, and and I was buying miso and natto mm -hmm. for, for Lulu. Mm -hmm. But people would come over and, again, I was new, so I'd invite people over and they'd be like, what the heck is in your kitchen? What is all this stuff? Sure. And then I'd go on the passionate rant because just we were just in the middle of Lulu getting better. So I was very energetic, like, oh, my God, it's amazing. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. tell them all about we, we didn't health. know We didn't know what was going on. Then yes. I read this. Then we did this. Oh, my God. It's well, and at the same time, there, was a couple, there were a couple of shows on. So when I started reading about it, it was quite – quite new and whenever I'd tell anybody they'd be like oh okay you know you know whatever works but as we came you know just six months later there was a show on Catalyst and people would be like oh my god I you know I spoke to you about it and then I saw this show and can I have your kefir or can you show me how to make it yeah so they came over and you know inevitably they'd be like can you just make it for me mm. and I, I had a lot so I just give it away and friends would just started to say um I want more and I don't I feel guilty just getting it from you, can I buy it? Which I thought was the strangest thing um, because, you know, it's so easy. Well, okay, <laughs> but on, on, on that, I, mm -hmm. I, I, explain to me how easy it is and how, and how you would do it because okay. you, you could have said, okay, well, this is going to be, you know, have a positive impact on, on Lulu. Mm. I could go and buy this or I could make it myself. Why, why did you want to make it yourself? It's actually really hard to get the real thing. Sure. <clears throat> so most because of um, the conditions of it, I guess, because of refrigeration and pasteurization, that's what we've done. So we've taken a normal product amongst not just sauerkraut and things, all products now. Mm -hmm. um, we've used this great technology, refrigeration. Yeah. 
and um, ruined it by making its life longer by pasteurizing it. So all the when you pasteurize, you're heating something up. You would know, but yeah. you heat it up, and so you're killing the bacteria that might turn it off, mm-hmm. make it go bad. Uh, then right. you're also killing about, in, the in, life in, in it. <laughs> in wine, we learn about heat stabilization and cold stabilization. Right. So, you know, with wine, you you drop it down to under zero degrees, which you know, technically is, is almost freezing, freezing yeah. it, um, but that has a similar impact. But right. you know, and and so in the context of that, stop all growth. So you're stopping it at a certain alcohol. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. It just makes it completely stable. Right. Uh, particularly important if you're doing it at much larger scales, and particularly if you're sending it to the other side of the world. Okay. Um, but you know, we're, we're talking huge scale wine production. Right. It's not really done in in lovely mm, little, little artisan okay. wineries. Well, um, you can't buy. You can't buy. You couldn't. Now you can because a lot of little businesses around. But you couldn't buy unpasteurized living krauts. Right. Um, you know, you could go to the Asian food store and get kimchi, but it had citric acid and preservatives and things like that in it, which it still does. The cheaper sort of ones that you get in plastic tubs. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had to make your own for it to be real. But it okay. is easy because. So how did you learn how to make it? Um. Gosh, like I said, I, I made it. I'd seen it made in Seattle. Sure. But um, not really gotten into making my own because he made large batch there then and had enough for a while. Um, just reading. Okay. Yeah. So what was the process? So for, for sauerkraut. Sure. So the main the reason I say it's easy is because it ferments itself. You know, you just, like you said, with the grapes, all you're doing is you're putting something into the right condition and setting it up so that it naturally does its own thing. Okay. And large scale now, of course, have to be much more um, precise. But you, all you really need is a little bit of salt and some cabbage. Mm-hmm. And you chop it up. You mix that in really, really well. Um, this is for mix, sauerkraut. Mix what in? Mix the salt through the cabbage. Just salt or mm, yeah. a, a salty water, no, brine? No, don't add any, don't add any um, water. So, so dried cabbage, mm. chop it up. cabbage is full of water and the salt draws the water out and that What's in the water is the living bacteria. Right. The salt discourages the wrong kinds of bacteria, the pathogenic type. Okay. That environment, when it's too salty for them, they die off, but the ones that like it stay there. And the ones that like it are the ones that we like, the lactobacillus. Right. So without the salt, it would basically just go off? You can do do no salt ferments. Okay. uh, But it... Yeah, I think it, then it's not easy anymore. Sure, yeah. it's a lot I mean, riskier. People use ocean water; they put whole cabbages in in the, hanging off jetties, uh-huh. and um, they've. I think original way of fermenting cabbages might have been that they were in a pool of water in a lake or something, and they found out that it was preserved. You right. know, there are ways you can do it. Okay, but um, and there are people out there. I know a couple of businesses that are working on doing no salt ferments. Right, I think it's pretty tough. So do you know um, what the sort of, I guess, the biological process is for the fermentation? Like what, what's it actually taking the cabbage, the, the raw vegetable cabbage from to? What, what, what are you ending up with? Like, I, know, I know it's sauerkraut. but it's still cabbage. It's, yeah. it, 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 so it's fermenting what, the sugar in yes. the cabbage? Yeah. So okay. the yeast and the, the bacteria will come out. that are, They're living and existing in the cabbage. Mm-hmm. The salt is there to kill off the wrong ones, and um, the salt is also there to preserve it in the first. So it goes through uh, a life, and the first initial section, all of the bacteria are there, and within say twenty four hours, 
a lot of them die off and the lactic acid bacterias, and there are a lot of different kinds, they come out and they start eating, eating the sugars and um, they just stay there actually for the whole time. They, 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 lactic acid is a sour flavour. Mm-hmm. And so what you've got in return is just a preserved cabbage, but still cabbage, with mm. vitamin C, a higher, um, there are enzymes in there, more enzy- digestive enzymes. Mm. And um, a whole range of bacteria and yeasts, yeah. So okay. it hasn't really changed. It doesn't change a lot. It's just enhanced, right? And preserved. And so, uh, what about like some of the beverages? Mm. All right. What's so, the process for those? <clears throat> Depends on which beverage you talk about. We'll talk about kefir. Yeah. Um, milk kefir. It's a it's a polysaccharide matrix. Uh, with different vari- bacteria and yeasts mm-hmm. that live together symbiotically. So a SCOBY, mm. symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast, mm. is a nickname. Oh, for- is that what it stands for? Because mm. I, I, I remember that you know, when, when we actually met. symbiotic community. And I'm like, <laughs> I think it's a colony. Colony, yeah. A colony of bacteria. PC, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, people, especially, I don't know. Especially people in Australia. the community, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so... So, okay, kaffir lime is a yes, fruit. That's it, kaffir lime, yeah. So forget that. Kefir, K-E-F-I-R, right. is the name for milk, kefir. Okay. And there's a water one as well, and it depends where you got yours. The water kefir, I got mine from somebody who called them water kefir. But if you were in Mexico, you'd get them, and they'd be called chibikos. Okay. Um, you can, Japanese crystals, they have all kinds of names. But right. for me, they're water kefir because, you know, you can't change what when you've learned it. Sure, sure, sure. They are also the same polysaccharide matrix of bacteria and yeast, but they feed on sugar. Right. They love sugar. They need a certain amount of minerals. They need the conditions to be right. But the milk kefir only needs milk. It's a sugar. It eats the, the, um, the lactose. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. a perfect uh, drink for lactic, lactose intolerant people. Yeah. And it helps build your tolerance for it too by having small amount. And so... Um, it, that's what creates a very, very low amount of alcohol? Yes, yes. So in the milk, the milk kefir, depending on the how sweet the milk is, I guess, um, usually we get about 0.7% okay. in there. Very low. Yeah, yeah. You have to drink a lot to, to get but any yes, form of buzz. It's a problem though because um, in Victoria it has to be below 0.5% for it to be allowed a soft drink, like a, a non-alcoholic beverage. Victoria and Queensland have just 0. changed the rules. 0.5%? Yeah. When I first started, the rule was 1.15. Yeah, I thought it was higher than that. Mm. I thought it was up, up around 1.5. I thought it was 1.15, mm. and that was my goal all the way, like sure. to keep it under that. Yeah. And um, then they changed it without really making any huge announcements, just withdrawing a heap of kombucha off the shelves and sending some businesses nearly broke. Thanks yes. very much. <laughs> so it's a is bit there, tough is a because way of our, water kefir, our water kefir, um, the most delicious one, the fig and ginger, is higher than that, actually. Mm. And I'm going to have to, we've just got our alcohol license and we're going to start marketing it as an alcohol. Okay. Um, actually marketing it as an Or alcohol. selling it in only alcohol stores, yeah. Right, okay. Because and that's the only place. So to, 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 to someone, you have to sell it to someone who has an alcohol license. Yeah, it's going to change the business quite a bit. Right. How much alcohol would, does that have? Well, we can get it up to 2.4%. Okay, but it's still... I know, yeah. it's really low. Really low, I mean, and light, light, light beer is still like three 
yeah. 3%, I think, maybe? I think um, water kefir is a diuretic. And um, if you've got constipation or anything like that, yeah. it helps you out straight yeah. away. Okay. No one can sit and drink more than a litre of water kefir. You just, you'll be going to the toilet, you know, yeah. and um, it's not an enjoyable thing to sit and drink two or three litres of water kefir like <laughs> you would beer, light beer, you know. Yeah. And doesn't give you the same feeling of I want more, you know, when you're drinking. No, I'm, I'm sorry, I have to disagree with you. Nothing <laughs> is worse than drinking light beer. All right, I don't know light beer. <laughs> I'm not familiar with it. No, no, no. <laughs> Okay, so it's I I have a I'm sad about um, the fact that we're going to have to change that you know change it right. But on the other hand, I'm excited that um, people can see it as a different thing, not necessarily a health drink. Yeah, but because all along when I started the business, I I wanted it to be um, mainstream. I've never wanted it to be paleo or. a health food. You want it to be accessible to everyone. Yeah, I just want it to be like everybody bring it down a notch and know that all of the food we're eating has been pasteurized and um, changed a lot mm-hmm. and start thinking a little bit about that. And this is real food. It happens to be so good for your gut. Yeah. But so is a banana or um, an apple. You know, other food, this isn't a miracle cure. Mm-hmm. So, we so just basically, need to add real foods in. Ha- changing people's thinking about food and, and trying drinks, to make yeah. them aware about how processing food yes. strips away, you know, good things in it yeah. and, and leaves bad stuff and it has long-term really negative effects on you. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at the and number the of documentaries that have come out in the yeah. last five or ten years, just about sugar. Yes, for example. You know, it, it really – there are a lot of people who are passionate about trying to educate people and yeah. and, and I guess – making it more accessible, making it, you know, available for people and and not complicated and not kind of, not uh, you know, nerdy or yeah. cool or anything like yes. that. You know, you, you want everyone to be able to learn about it so you can – it's for their own health and mm. the health of their children. And I think like it happened with me with the sourdough, you know, I'd been in Japan years before that making pickles, but it hadn't done the same thing to me. It was just fascinating and it was part of everything else that was fascinating about Japan. Sure. But with the sourdough, it did make me, you know, that whole thing of, oh, my God, what else has been stuffed with? And our food has been taken from something quite magical and beautiful mm. to this simple thing, just open the packet of yeast and pour it in and it, and the magic is gone. Yeah. There's nothing special about that when, in fact, the, the process is magic, the real process sure. of, of being able to rise bread from just water and flour. Um once you start doing that, I think the magic comes back in your life about food and you start thinking about all the other things that have been stuffed with. And mm. um, that's why I like fermentation, actually, because things have to be quite pure. So with our kimchi as well, we um, looked into what fish sauces there were and then I found out that no fish sauce, on, not many fish sauces in the market were real or fermented or soy sauces weren't either. They just added ingredients to make it taste like soy sauce and none of it was fermented anymore. And, yeah. You know, so it sort of took me then down a whole different path, um, so people don't, disturbing path. People don't know what the original thing, the real thing actually tastes no. like. They think that's what soy sauce, for example, is, mm. not having any idea what it actually is made from. No, and like, I mean, soy sauce really originated from tamari, which is the the water that you get that sits on top of miso. Yeah. And that's that, a, I make miso my, at home. My, my partner as a vegetarian uses that uh, mm. instead of soy sauce. But the real tamari that you get from the top of your miso mm-hmm. 
is so delicious. Mm-hmm. And you only need a little bit of it. It's that kind of oil, like glistening, oily sort of thing. Water. Yeah, that yeah. sits on me so. Yeah, yeah. And um, I want people to be able to taste that. Sure. And go, oh, God, that's moving, you know. And instead we've got big plastic bottles of soy sauce. And, and then they say, soy is bad for you. Don't eat soy. And it's not that soy is really bad for you. It's non-fermented soy that's bad for you or, you know, highly processed what are they, soy. What do they call it? Non-activated? What, mm. What's this whole thing about activation? Like, Well, that's nuts and things like that, oh, grains, okay. right. soaking them and, and activating them. With you. When you add water to an almond, for example, right. the phytates or something are taken and, and it starts to almost bud to grow and oh. you're activating the life within it. Okay. And then you eat it like that. Mm, mm. That's something different. Anyway. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> um, so you had friends and, and other people kind of saying, oh, we'd, we'd love more of this stuff, but we want to pay for it. So this is where you kind of thought about mm, well, starting a little project. Yeah, it did. Uh, it got to the point where I needed, I got two fridges in my shed and I had run out of room. So I went to the health food store guy and um, I was just like, can I put some of my product in here and then my friends can pick it up from you and they can pay you. I don't care. Just I need help with my fridge space. And he was like, I'd love to have that. So um, within about... Became your first trade customer. Yeah, but within about two months, I was in Lake House already and and Cumulus. Yeah. So how did they discover this stuff? I think um, I think one of the... I think um, Larissa Wolftasker must have shopped. Oh, maybe the, there, were the, there were a couple of girls who opened a new health food store in Dalesford and they tasted it and they called me and they're like, we want that too. I was like, oh, you don't understand. I'm not really yeah. a business. I'm like, that's all right. We, we want that. I was like. <laughs> and then I had friends and they Didn't were saying, no oh, Sharon, you know, I'm not, you know, I wasn't much of a businesswoman because, and I'm still not really. The drive, I said I'd deliver it, you know. I wasn't going to make any money. I was driving an hour to Dalesford, deliver it an hour back. Mm. And, you know, it was a lot of time and effort mm-hmm. for not much. Mm-hmm. But it turned out to be okay because then Alla and Larissa Wolf Tasker from the Lake House tried it at that health food store and they're like, we'd like it for Wombat Hill and the Lake House. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I wasn't um, impressed because <laughs> it was more driving for no money, you know what I mean? Sure. And then I was new in town. I didn't know that that was um, – that fancy you know yeah Yeah. and then someone from people visit staying at the lake house a girl from um who owns bread and circus in sydney she's a really cool little um whole foods canteen she called and then she was like can i have it in my restaurant too i was like i can't no now i'm going too far yeah this is like a project that's costing me money i'm not making any money yeah but of course i couldn't help it I wanted to do it. So we decided to ship it up there in the second fermentation because water kefir has 48-hour first fermentation. Yeah. And then you bottle it and sit it out on the shelf for a second fermentation. Right. So I was like, if I can get it to Sydney in that 24 hours and um, during the second fermentation, then it'll be fine. And we did. And we've, we've been doing that for years now. Yeah. Now oh, I cool. use a refrigerated courier. doesn't okay. matter. But at the beginning, it worked. Oh, like uh, yeah. Okay. Mm. So, so – how did it grow from there and how did you like kind that. of change your production? Yeah, I'm assuming you would, mm. you had to start making more and you continued to have issues as far as storage and stuff like yes, that? Yes, I, I think I still am. I mean, I um, so I was in my home kitchen even when we were at Cumulus, Bread and Circus and Lake House, which seems very professional, I was still jugging it out of in my home kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then I moved to a friend, one of them, a friend of mine from school. They have a winery called Bindi, which is a beautiful winery, um, and they had a spare shed. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping to have Michael on the podcast sometime oh, too. Okay. He said he said yes, but nailing him down is, yes. is another yeah. is another thing. <laughs> Well, I was up there on their winery and um, when it became so, and then we were working from there, we we got one of those rental um, external fridges mm-hmm. and just grew like that, just incrementally. Every, every time I got an, I didn't do any sales so because I couldn't handle any, we couldn't handle, we didn't have the equipment. Mm-hmm. I was using hand graders and things and then we heard um, that there was a dad from the school and he was a chef, and so I had him over, and I was like, "How can you help me with my some, my processes?" And he really helped because um, I was still in the mode of doing it and having fun. So I would listen to podcasts and watch movies while I was grating and chopping and stuff, yeah. you know. And he came in; it was completely professional. And what would take me six hours would took him one, you know. So I was like, "I'll pay you if you come here more." Yeah, and so. Um, Wendy, which is Michael's wife from Bindi, when it became more of a job than a hobby, she was kind of like, yeah, I don't need this any, you know, it's been fun, but Roger, do you want my share of the business? Because I don't want to do this. It's Mm -hmm. hard work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She didn't need to. So he took it. And then we moved out of Bindi to Melbourne and then we just kept growing like that. I've never really done any sales um, calls. Right. Because I've always been a bit frightened of if we could handle more. Sure, sure. Uh, until the last three months, where um, we got a distributor, and now we ha- we've ramped it up. And we need machinery. We need, yeah. Now we need money. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> one one mixer, you know, like thirty grand. Yeah. So to be able to keep up, we need to um, put some more money in. I guess we're at a different stage. We're kind of at one of those stages, but we've got distributors nationally. So, and, and we haven't changed, nothing has changed. That's the funny thing. Like it's still the same recipe and the same exact way I've been doing it. If I was only doing it for 30 jars, it's the same for 3,000. Right. So I guess in, in an effort to, to help the business grow mm. and, and help more people learn about, you know, this, this, the positive influence of these kinds of products mm. just from your health and well-being, but also because it tastes better yeah, and, yeah. uh, and, you know, makes you happier. Um, how can people actually support you? Like what, what's like, do you, do you run any kind of classes or yep. can people come and learn and, and spend time with you and I don't know, like volunteer and oh, help out that, that kind of wonderful. thing? I love that. We have a lot of people asking if they can volunteer. We've just moved to Dalesford this week today Wow, to a big factory um, we've had to move them. It's cheaper out there. And also we get beautiful water. Uh, the fact the it's the old abattoir. Sure. On the way to the cidery. Okay. Have you been to the Dalesford cidery? Uh, don't I, think so. Well, there's, I mean, I know Dalesford. But. Yep. Okay. So it's just on your way out of Dalesford. And if you, it's, there's a big sign that says Dalesford cidery. You turn down there and there's an old abattoir. Mm-hmm. And that was an accidental find. And so we've moved in there and, um, Oh, if they go onto our website too, we host a lot of workshops. Mm-hmm. And I love to host workshops because mm-hmm. really I, I want people to make it themselves. Sure. And the funny one, like the, the harder ones that we make, like kimchi and the smoky jalapeno kraut, sure, 
you definitely want to buy it because there are a lot of steps involved. Mm -hmm. But your own crowd, I think it's really nice to make your own. And then maybe you can appreciate that ours is pretty good, you know. <laughs> so but that I do my favourite thing at the moment is workshop is workshopping and going around teaching people how to make it. And one thing that's happened that was really good is last year we won an award with a delicious magazine mm -hmm. and that out of all the things we've done was exciting because it was mainstream foodie magazine, sure. not sure. a health one. Getting out to a much bigger audience. Yeah, just trying to say if it tastes great, make it yourself or whether you buy ours, it's sort of the same. But Yeah. Mm. How can they help? I think just go on the website and learn about it. I put recipes up there. Sure. Um, but they can. If they want to come and work with us, we would love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I highly recommend uh, getting up to Dalesford anyway because yeah. it is such a, a wonderful gastronomic destination. There's mm. lots of great places to eat and drink and, and learn about produce as well. But mm. um, I, I, on the website, is there um, like stockists as far as retail where people can buy? Yep. There's, uh, I'm actually just about to update that this weekend because now we have the distributor. But I do try to um, keep it updated, just maybe email us or Facebook message to find out where we might be near you. Great. Um, I've got a book coming out, actually. Fantastic. In March. Wonderful. It takes ages, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be lots of lovely photos in there. They take a while to put together. But um, as far as um, website and social media accounts. Yep. Instagram is just at the fermentary. Yep. T-A-R-Y. And Facebook, too. And then um, the website is – we do have mail order, actually, oh. if you're far away, yes. Okay. So – and that's start, – we're starting to set that up so that we can get it to Darwin and places like that with these special cool box things. Wow. But, um, awesome. Yes. That's well, been – Sharon, project. thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show today. Um, it has been really fascinating. I've, I've learned heaps and I'm sure my listeners will, um, will come away thinking completely differently about uh, – fermented foods. Uh, so I, I really do appreciate you sharing uh, your story and uh, and your experience, your expertise in this area. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun. My pleasure. And thank you listeners for joining us on this episode of The Vincast. I have been James Gasbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. Uh, and thank you to Sharon for her time and sharing her story. Please guys, go to the Fermentary website and find out more about her amazing products. If you'd like to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Intrepid Wino. And please also follow the podcast on Twitter at The Vincast. Uh, come to the Intrepid Wino YouTube channel to see some of the videos that I post, including my series Let's Taste, where I open bottles of Australian wine and share my impressions. Uh, if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so on iTunes, Player FM, Stitcher, or any other number of different podcast hosting apps. Uh, and by subscribing, you're getting the newest episode as soon as it becomes available. And it's also uh, a great opportunity for you to uh, share your appreciation by leaving a rating and a review. All the information, of course, is available at my website, intrepidwino.com. So please come and visit me. Get in touch, uh, thevincast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, and hopefully uh, we'll have some great guests coming up soon, including on episode 100. But until then, bye. <laughs>